0: There was a a church. They hadn't done a lot of global mission, but they decided to send an exploratory team Mm -hmm. to Senegal, West Africa, to find out what it was that the people might need. Mm -hmm. So they sent a team of members to explore, and they found that the people needed wells for water. So the church raised money, and a, a number of wells were dug. Then the Villages which received these wells, which were Muslim villages, invited the church members to come and party with them Hmm. to celebrate. This is a natural part of development is that you have joy, you have Hmm. celebration, you have thanks to God for the blessing of water. So the church sent a second team to go and party (laughs) with the local Senegalese. During that visit, the church encountered on the field an African evangelist who was working among the Senegalese. They were able to begin to partner with him, to begin to... uh, support him and pray with him and for him and uh, resource him in various ways, and then to send people to cooperate with him and to work with him. And this has been uh, an effective, holistic ministry among people who felt positive about this ministry because they had received water. Mm -hmm. Um, This is listening to the local people, perhaps, first of all, sending an exploratory team Mm -hmm. listening, and then secondly, listening to the long-term workers and supporting the long-term workers, whether local pastors, lay leaders, or missionaries, people who speak the language, people who have adapted to the culture, people who can understand the complex nuances of things in a way that we cannot understand in one month or two months, and, and trying not to take their time and their energy, but to empower them.
1: Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions, a podcast that takes an honest yet hopeful look at the things that the Church does in the name of missions, a podcast that seeks to inspire Christ followers to rethink the status quo of short-term missions and to forge a better way forward. We feature honest conversations with people from all over the world, those who go on mission trips and those who host them, and we don't shy away from tackling the hard and uncomfortable questions. Questions like, Are short-term missions really the best way to invest a church's resources? If sending churches have come to rely on mission trips as a way to encourage personal growth for those being sent, what are alternative ways to achieve those goals that are less costly and closer to home? If current models of short-term missions aren't working, then what should we be doing? I'm Forrest Dinsley, professor of global studies at Northwest University in Seattle and co-editor of the book, Reimagining Short-Term Missions, In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Miriam Adeny, an expert in missions and cross-cultural ministry and author of many books on the subjects. In her view, the challenge of reimagining short-term missions is a matter of redirecting good motives that churches have for sending teams. It's also about collaborating with all members of the global church to co-create better ways for churches in every part of the world to deploy their respective strengths and resources to make disciples of all nations. Friends, there are better ways to love and serve the world, and it starts with courageous conversations. Welcome to Reimagining Short-Term Missions. So, Miriam, tell us about what you spend your time doing these days and how your your work intersects with issues of short-term missions.
0: Yeah, well... um, I I love culture. I love communication. I love the church. I love the word, and I've had the privilege of actually spending some time on all six continents. So um, I'm interacting with people in these places, uh, and um, we're wrestling together to think about how to live as Jesus people uh, in Hindu and Muslim and Buddhist and uh atheist and nominal christian all sorts of contexts um uh in all sorts of areas of our lives uh physical and spiritual um how does the good news uh of jesus relate in various cultures and contexts and so that's what i'm working with i'm uh, i'm a writer so i'm always writing something and uh struggling with some books. Right now I'm working on a book on Afghan Christianity, which is uh, very uh, intriguing.
1: Well, you've written a chapter for the book Reimagining Short-Term Missions, and you're writing the preface, actually. The title is The Migration of the (laughs) Wilderbeasts. So I'm wondering if you could comment on that title and what it is you are trying to communicate to people through that that figurative language.
0: Right. Well, I think first, uh, first I have to say that, that short-term missions uh, comes from a good heart, comes from a good motivation. Uh, God loves the vulnerable, and God crosses boundaries. We see this especially at Christmas. Jesus crossed a boundary in order to uh, communicate with us, in order to bring us life uh, and as we follow Jesus, we naturally want to cross boundaries. It's just a normal thing to do. And that is why we do short-term mission. That's our motivation. Sometimes uh, we have some other motivations, mm-hmm. like um, adventure. Uh, we want to go new places, see new things, Uh And uh, also, we want to feel good about ourselves, Mm -hmm. being people who who serve and who give back. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if we are organizing uh, a short-term mission for a church, uh, we know that a short-term mission may build relationships among our church members. It may stimulate their compassion, and it may stimulate their giving. And those are all uh, desirable outcomes. So, uh, for all these reasons, uh, we get involved in in short-term missions. Um, but there are some dangers, and uh, that my reference to the wild beasts, the migration of the wild beasts, it was. Uh, to something that a Kenyan pastor said one time as he was commenting on the season when, I guess the summer season, when uh, hordes of short-term mission teams arrive in East Africa, and and they tend to wear matching t-shirts for each team. So some of them wear purple shirts, some of them wear orange shirts, some of them wear green shirts. And you can see them on the streets of Nairobi, just like... Uh, you have annual migration of various kinds of wildlife mm-hmm. uh, in East Africa, uh, including the what are called the wild beasts or the news. They cross, in by the thousands, they cross the rivers, and uh, they're just a regular uh, site, a regular uh, scene in mm-hmm. East Africa. And in the same way, short-term missionaries are a regular sight, a regular scene with their mm-hmm. particular uh, colored T-shirts mm-hmm. uh, wandering around.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think... Probably uh, your sources will give you their impression of of that spectacle of teams of people arriving in multicolored shirts. We don't often hear the perspective of folks who are in these hosting contexts or receiving contexts. I'm wondering what you have heard. What would be a reaction to of the migration of the short-termers in a Kenyan context, for example, or, or any context uh, that's non-Western?
0: Well, I think, first of all, people are grateful that other people uh, are interested in them, concerned about them, and bother to come and visit them. Uh, it's a compliment to come and, and take time to visit. People are also entertained by the uh, weird behavior of foreigners who arrive. Um, but uh, people... Also may seriously question whether this is the best use of resources. Uh, i was I was in the Philippines some years ago, and uh, I remembered that one of my students was there that summer. He was working in a carpentry ministry. And I mentioned to my Filipino host, "Oh, I need to find him and and talk to him." And my host said to me, "You're sending carpenters to the Philippines." Hmm. And, and suddenly I was embarrassed because I realized the Philippines has plenty of carpenters. Uh, it it What it needs, perhaps, is money to employ the carpenters, uh, money that we have spent on sending our own people to do carpentry, which takes a, a job away from Filipinos. Mm-hmm. So uh, in other countries, people are sometimes... Uh, while they appreciate short-term missionaries coming, they also wonder, is this the best use of resources? And and I, I would say that some of the problems are uh, potentially disempowering the locals, distracting the missionaries and the, the pastors, uh, damaging projects, and dumping money. Mm-hmm. Um, disempowering the locals, for example, uh, in the 1950s, there was a very famous set of missionaries who were martyred in the jungle in Latin America by people known as the Alka. One of those missionaries was Jim Elliott, a famous uh, person. And um, nevertheless, Alka did eventually come to faith in Jesus and did uh, develop churches and, and uh, uh, have a thriving Christian community. And then there came a period of time when they quit building their churches, and they quit having their Christian training events. And a son of one of the martyrs happened to be visiting. Steve Saint was his name. He happened to be visiting, and he said, why did you quit building churches? And they said, because... We can only build churches with thatched roofs. But there are short-term mission teams coming in all the time, and they build churches with aluminum roofs. They bring in aluminum, to, and and that is a better kind of church. So we just wait for short-term mission teams to come and build the churches. We don't build our own anymore. And similarly with um, training events... Uh, when short-term mission teams come in, they hold training events, and they bring in sugar and rice for the week that they're doing the training. We don't have sugar and rice. So we just wait for short-term missions to come in and train us about how to be Christians in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And Steve St. encouraged them. He said, God would be happy with thatched roof on the church. And God is happy when you do your own training in your own language, uh, in the context of your own culture, dealing with the issues that you understand. the sins and the joys and the hopes and the aspirations. And so these people began once again to build their own churches and to lead their own Christian training events. Mm -hmm. Um, They had thought that they were inferior uh, in the face of short-term missions, but they realized that they they were empowered and called to take responsibility for their own future. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think that a lot of people these days uh, in in the Western uh, church context would not disagree with what they're learning about the problems of short-term missions. Uh, The the question becomes, though, if not short-term missions as it's being practiced today, then what? Because as you pointed out, churches have good motivations much of the time, and one of their motivations is, what they're calling maybe the Great Commission, right? They want to be obedient. They want to obey um, what they're perceiving as Jesus' call for for us to reach all nations with the gospel and make disciples. The the question becomes, though, um, I guess, first of all, is short-term missions actually doing that? Is it actually missions? Mm -hmm. Maybe the second question is, if it isn't, uh, and if it is causing more problems than it helps, What's the alternative? How does the church respond to the impulse to mission?
0: Yeah. Um, well, uh, I, I, there, there are, of course, many ways <laughs> that you can do that. Uh, but I would say uh, having a humble stance mm-hmm. in relation to the uh, believers on the field and taking time to learn from them. For example uh there was a a church congregation in Oregon that I know They hadn't done a lot of global mission, but they uh became inspired and they uh decided to send an uh Explore exploratory team mm-hmm. to, um, as it turned out, to Senegal, West Africa, uh, to find out what it was that the people might need. Mm-hmm. So they sent a team of members to explore, and they found that the people needed wells for water. So the church raised money, and uh, a number of wells were dug. Then the Villages which received these wells, which were Muslim villages, Mm -hmm. uh, invited the church members to come and party with them, Mm. to celebrate. This is a natural part of development, is that you have joy, you have Mm. celebration, you have uh, thanks to God for uh, the blessing of water. So the church sent a second team to go and party (laughs) with the local Senegalese. During that visit, the church encountered on the field an African evangelist who was working among the Senegalese. They were able to uh, begin to partner with him, to begin to... uh, support him and pray with him and for him and uh, resource him in various ways and then uh, to send people to cooperate with him and to work with him and this has been uh, an effective holistic uh, ministry among people who who felt positive about this ministry because they had received water. Mm -hmm. Um, This is listening to the local people, perhaps, first of all, sending an exploratory team Mm -hmm. listening. And then secondly... Listening to the long-term workers and supporting the long-term workers, whether local pastors, lay leaders or missionaries, people who speak the language, people who have adapted to the culture, people who who can understand the the complex nuances of things in a way that we cannot understand in one month or two months uh, and uh, so supporting the long- termers um, and and trying not to take their time and their energy, but to uh, to just empower them. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are some ways. Now another example is a, a friend of mine who regularly takes teams of short-term missions to. Uh, another country in East Africa, where she and her husband worked uh, before as missionaries, uh, and then he died of a brain tumor, and she came back and got a graduate degree, but she still takes teams there. But she takes three years to train her teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in the course of training the teams, some of the church members actually become vital Christians for the first time. Mm -hmm. They begin to learn what it is uh, to be a Christian, and they have a personal transformation of of life before they ever go. Mm -hmm. Um, Because uh, my friend has these long-term connections with that place, before the people go, they can begin to uh, become pen pals. Mm -hmm. They begin to uh, write letters to each other, and they can be translated, and they begin to talk about what are the real needs in that place. So when they finally go, uh, they are welcomed, uh, they are integrated into the community, uh, and it is a a positive situation. So uh, taking time, listening to the people, learning from the people, having a humble stance, supporting those people who are there as long-term leaders, whether indigenous or uh, or foreigners who have admirably adapted. Mm-hmm.
1: So why do you think it is that people who would be leading missions in a given congregation uh, here in the States, for example, would, would be doing this other model that <laughs> isn't a model based on listening, it isn't a model um, that acknowledges the strengths and resources of a given context, uh, but it's, it's something else. W- why do you think it is that uh, such churches continue this this uh, really culture of short term missions uh, in a way that is irrelevant but but yet still meets a need somehow in the church
0: well I, we probably just haven 't thought about it, mm-hmm. uh, and we have an american a, a very admirable American value of activism mm-hmm. uh, and also of uh, pragmatic problem solving. We like to analyze, what's the problem here? Okay, what resources are needed? Okay, let's go in and, and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some other cultures that like to meditate on the paradoxes of existence. This is not us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we want to go in and solve the problem. If we can't, then then we find it very hard to, to stay around because nothing's happening. Um, uh, this is a good value, but we... Uh, Overuse it in contexts where it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, we and so our tendency is before we send out a team, uh, somewhat like like a business project, we we define what we're going to do, a- and we raise the resources. We tell our donors we're going to dig, uh, you know, five wells, or we're going to build ten houses, or we're going to show the Jesus movie to a thousand people, or we're going to, you know, we we define the problem as we do here in America, but is that the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. We actually should not define what we're going to do until we get onto the field, or Mm -hmm. until we have extensive interaction with the people on the field, um, because they are the ones who should define the problem, Mm -hmm. not us. But it is our tendency to to do this, and we feel that's faithful to our donors, Mm -hmm. that our donors are going to invest in this project, and they need to be able to measure whether we achieved our goals. Uh, And um, this is just part of our American culture, not a bad part, but not necessarily appropriate in in this particular uh, setting. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, many of our churches are not really informed about um, peoples and countries in other cultures. Uh, And this is something that it's not that hard to get that information. You could actually just go on YouTube and see, you see a bunch of bad stuff, but you also see some really useful information about different countries. Um, There is a, a book called Operation World, which you can order, which has information on uh, Christians and churches in every country of the world. Uh, you can certainly get that book before you begin to plan a short-term team. So you can see what are the resources that are already there? What is mm-hmm. what is the church? What are the Bible schools? What are the Christian radio stations? How many languages have the Bible in their language? Mm-hmm. Um, and And our churches need to recognize that the people of whatever country we're going to have a complex uh, culture, civilization, heritage, history, and often church history in that place, and uh, we need to to learn uh, what kinds of questions we ought to ask.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, what you're you're saying is definitely a first step, right? I mean, just get the basic information about place that you're interested in mm-hmm. i think another key step though would of course be forming relationship mm-hmm. with folks in that context because how else will you ask what are the needs here what are the resources here how can we maybe dream together about what coming together could achieve yeah uh, in our collaboration how how would churches go about that though i mean that's a that's a tricky prospect is forming relationships with the people that you want to um, collaborate with. How does that happen?
0: Yeah, well, that happens, I think, situation by situation. Uh, I gave the example of the team that went to Senegal that didn't really know much, but they listened and they learned to start with the water. Um, there there are just all kinds of, of ways to do this. One way is to start with people who are living in your own city. Mm-hmm. Uh, in many of our cities, there are People from dozens, maybe even a hundred uh, different uh, language groups, ethnic groups. Uh, and uh, you can get to know these people through local agencies that serve them Uh Uh, or through local community associations, I mean the Iranian Community Association, the Kurdish Community Association, the the Cambodian Community Association, these things exist in our cities and you can google them and um, you can show up at these events and you Mm -hmm. can begin to get to know these people. Sometimes they will have churches in Mm -hmm. your city Mm -hmm. Um, or they will know of churches elsewhere in the state or in the country. Uh, And you can get in touch with these and and learn from these people. Build relationships. And even if they are not Christians, if you build relationships with these people in your city, you invite them for dinner. They invite you for dinner. Uh, You go to their events when they have their annual celebrations for this and that. And then you can invite them even to Christmas and Easter things if you want to. Um... And, and then when you say you would like to visit their country, they will be happy to connect you with their relatives mm-hmm. and their friends because you have become a friend here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an excellent way to start building relationships. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, it raises the possibility that maybe a mission for any given church might be those folks from the country that they care about who live in their neighborhoods, right? right? right. Maybe that is missions
0: for right, them. Right, right right. and And it isn't limited. If you start here inevitably, you will have contacts back there, because sure. these people who are living in our cities today, they are in contact with their relatives back home every week um, uh, now. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, one of the dynamics of of short-term missions is this formation that we talked about that that oftentimes the process of preparing for mission or being involved in mission. Kind of undoes people; it disarms them in such a way that there's this potential for growth and a deepening of faith. I know in my own church, uh, the motivation for short-term missions on the part of the youth pastor, my daughter's youth pastor, was formation. He knew from experience the power of of international experience to transform one's perspective and one's heart. What what do churches do with that very worthy goal? Um, if they decide that, in fact, international travel is not the thing that's going to going to meet that need, what else can they do?
0: Well, that's that's a good point. And uh, it, it is a, something that kind of tugs at our hearts mm-hmm. because uh, we know that it, short-term mission can make a difference. One woman wrote to me and she said, how else can my grandchild experience suffering unless they go on a short-term mission? Yeah. Uh, but... Short term missions are not therapy. Uh, and and uh, that cannot be our priority. Uh, our priority has to be genuinely serving the people to whom we go, even if that means we don't go uh, mm-hmm. because uh, they can be served better otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, But yes, I think we do want formation of our own people, and uh, so the two things that I have mentioned, one is exploratory trips, Mm -hmm. uh, and the other is getting immersed in local ethnic communities Mm -hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh getting immersed in local ethnic communities here actually can probably take you further than an exploratory trip. Because an exploratory trip, you can come back after two weeks and think that you're an expert on that country. Yeah. You're not an expert at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a few transformative experiences, but there's, there's a great deal that you don't know at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to guard against that. Mm-hmm.
1: So our book is called Reimagining Short-Term Missions. And I guess that raises the question, what what really is the task ahead of us? What is reimagining short-term mission? And I wonder, in your opinion, if it's better to think about improving short-term mission practice, or do we really need to go back to the drawing board and ask ourselves, what is this thing called mission, and should we be doing anything uh, that we're doing now?
0: Well, in in many churches... Uh, there is such a momentum to do short-term missions that that is what you will do. Mm-hmm. Um, if if there isn't, then you may want to go back to the drawing board and uh, see how to support people in long who speak the language in long-term uh, situations. But usually, there is just this. Uh, Compulsion, impulsion, to do short-term missions in our churches. It is uh, many, many pastors, many churches use that as a sort of a measurement that they are doing something. So for them, uh, the challenge is to improve it mm-hmm. and to do it really well. To slow it down, to make it deeper, to make it more substantial, to make it humbler, uh, but uh, to do it better. Mm-hmm. One thing I haven't mentioned that I that I could say also is that. Uh, in our in our mission, any of our mission, short or long term, uh, if only we could cultivate more spontaneous praying, singing, and sharing our spirituality. Mm-hmm. This is something that I wish I did more. It's one of my long term goals. I I was visiting a, a family from another culture yesterday, and I wish that when I left, I had said, "Can I pray a blessing on your children?" i didn 't do that, I wish I had, mm-hmm. but uh, we don 't have to wait until we 've dug a well mm-hmm. before we can share our faith we can We can offer to pray a blessing on people the first time we meet them if it seems appropriate. Mm-hmm. We can uh, sing uh, our, our joy uh, in many occasions mm-hmm. uh, and and share our our personal um, refreshment and restoration that we've received from following Jesus, we mm-hmm. can share that uh, early on. And it's something we should, of course, cultivate here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then it will be appropriate for us to cultivate it in other places.
1: Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of chapters in the book that are written by folks from um, non-Western or Global South contexts. And they're speaking from the perspective of folks who have dealt with the teams coming to them, and some of them, I think, very helpfully uh, and humbly, have have noted the fact that they also bear responsibility, some responsibility for the the negative parts of short term mission culture. I'm wondering what your take is on that, and if you've actually uh, heard that from people that you work with in other culture contexts.
0: Well, uh, you're thinking of of uh, uh, how, in a sense, they. Uh, they collude, mm-hmm. or they
1: uh, enable.
0: Yeah, they enable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what else can they do? I mean, they. I think that it takes a lot of energy to <laughs> to mm-hmm. to insist on an alternative structure. Um, but uh, if, yeah, so so certainly there, mm-hmm. and naturally, um, if, for example, people are not say they only get to eat meat every six months because mm-hmm. the economy is what it is. And then they are offered uh, money to work with short-term mission teams, which means it's possible for their family to eat money, eat <laughs> meat every week. Mm-hmm. Well, naturally, they can see that there's some good to this. I mean, there's nutrition to their family. And um, um yeah, it, it's easy to fall into those habits. It's hard to stand up for more local ownership and local direction, if that's not the pattern.
1: When I was in Uganda the last time, I was teaching a group of Ugandan community developers, uh, and we talked about an idea that shows up in our book, co-powerment, where both sides are making the other's work possible. Mm -hmm. So it's collaboration, but um, but sort of on, in a deeper sense. And we talked about that. They loved the idea of co-powerment. But when it came to the so what part, like what do we actually do? They actually were, were quiet. Um, mm-hmm. I think they were maybe afraid of of offending me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I actually gave one of the sessions over to some of the Ugandans and I just sat in the back. And they asked that question. It's like, why why will this not work? Or how can we make it work? And to a person, everyone talked about working with foreign agencies and how the foreign agency assumed that they would set the agenda, the foreign agency assumed that because they were bringing the, the majority of the resources uh, into a given community, that they also then had the maybe responsibility to call the shots and talk about how those resources were were employed. And a lot of the folks in this particular class I was teaching talked about not wanting to risk the ending of those resources. I mean, the resources have become an important part of their local economy, and perhaps to challenge the folks who brought those resources or employed them could possibly risk um, losing those resources. Very legitimate uh, concerns. But how is how, how, how are they to deal with that? You know, the culture is kind of entrenched. The patterns are entrenched. And uh, I'm just not sure... I uh, always know what to encourage people to do. Any, any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have any easy answers for you on that. Yeah, um, I had the privilege early in my uh, adult life to work with the Philippine InterVarsity for four years, mm. and we had a, a really admirable Filipino director. We, there were about 20 staff, nearly all Filipino, and... Um, they had the policy that they would not receive foreign funds for ongoing expenses. Uh, they would receive foreign funds for a special thing, like to bring a, um, a guest speaker from another country, from India. We brought a guest speaker one year. Uh, or the Canadian, I think, InterVarsity, bought a car, which served all 20 staff workers, actually. Um and that was not necessary to the ongoing uh, life. But even though there was a period when, for five months, staff didn't get paid, mm. uh, we did not accept foreign funds, mm. and therefore we had a high sense of ownership mm-hmm. uh, because of that. And uh, I was in charge of publishing. And when we started our publishing budget, this was this was in the seventies, mind you. But when we started, our publishing budget was four hundred dollars, mm-hmm. and we had to recover that four hundred dollars with every publication, so we could. Publish Publish the next book, and we did. We were publishing creative things, originally written things, uh, when other publishing uh, other missions were saying we have no funds, so we can't publish. But um, we had the high sense of of ownership. I'd also refer to Ray Baki, mm. who uh, was an urban um, missions leader par excellence, recently passed on, um, and he he talks about uh, he worked. In, in the United States, uh, but he worked sometimes in the inner city, in poor communities in the inner city. And he he said um, he wanted mission teams who came from the suburbs, who came from wealthier churches, to recognize that the inner city poor people were the owners hmm. of Projects. He said, when short term teams come, I'm quoting him here when short term teams come, let it be in the spirit of mission in reverse where it's clearly understood that the indigenous local lay people are the teachers, and the visiting students who assist temporarily are, in fact, the learners, being taught by the poor how to pastor the poor. Mm. There is great integrity in that kind of learning contract. In fact, the congregation can almost always provide whatever is needed for ministry in their own particular situation. The real difficulty is convincing them of their own power to act and make decisions for themselves. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that is such a good point. And I guess it brings up the question, you know, what what could the role of western churches be in helping folks to believe that they have the power, they have the resources, they have the vision, they have what they need to actually be the solution uh, to their own struggles. What can churches do actually?
0: Well, I think first uh we need to sincerely believe this ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's partly achieved as we get to know them, as we get to know their church history, as we get to know their uh, context, as we fall in love with them, if you like, as as we come to respect them, and and as we become convinced—and also theologically— as we believe that all people are made in the image of God and that means Americans and it means Ugandans and Filipinos and Ukrainians and even Russians, all everybody made in the image of God endowed with, with creativity in God's image and commissioned to be stewards of that and to take care of their environment and to uh, be a blessing to their communities. That's the commission to all people. And of course, Jesus died for all people and offers transformed living through the Holy Spirit to all people and if we really believe that about people in every country then we want to affirm that mm-hmm. in them and and we want to say uh, God will empower you now of course that doesn't mean we never give any money of course we do give money but it's judicious it's judicious i'll I'll, I'll give you one more example. And this is actually not from a Christian uh, setting, but uh, in Bangladesh, uh, there was a rural community where uh, 2% of the people were wealthy landowners. Uh, 40% of the people had no land at all. Uh, The wealthy landowners employed the landless to work on land that actually was government land. It had been abandoned during a war and people had left and it was vacant, but the wealthy people employed the landless people to work on their government land in agriculture and in uh, herding animals. Then into the community came the Bangladesh Rural Action Committee, which taught the landless people to read using uh, primers that uh, talked about the problems in their community and potential solutions. Mm-hmm. When they learned to read, the landless people learned that they could form a cooperative, which they did, and that they could petition the government for title to some of the abandoned land, which mm-hmm. they did. Mm-hmm. It took two years uh, before they got title, but then they did. One and a half hectares per family. And then uh, began to farm, and the Landowners hired thugs to break their irrigation canals and so forth. But the the and the landowners said, Well, you know, they're gonna fail and then we'll be able to buy the land legally. But The landless people, now little landowners, persevered and even with bad weather were able to make a profit on the crop that they raised and began to think about a fishing cooperative and even began to think about family planning. Now, no money was given to those land, those poor landless people, until they actually got title to their land. Then a loan for seeds and equipment was given at the going rate of 12% interest, um, which was considerably less than the money lenders would have given, which was 50% Mm -hmm. interest. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The money came... Uh, When they were about three years into this project, when they were in a position where they could use the money. So it's not to say there should never be money given. Mm -hmm. Yes, money should be given, but it should be given in a way that promotes sustainability.
1: Yeah, that example, I think, just pulls together so many of the things we've been talking about. I mean, you could imagine the church having such a role to encourage and empower folks to do such things, right? Absolutely. But it takes... Imagination. <laughs> it takes creativity to go beyond the sort of standard models. It takes trust in the people to actually have what they need to solve their own problems. They just need something else yeah. to empower them to do that. Uh so there's and so it much takes there. perseverance, yeah, and too. And perseverance, Willing right. to
0: take the long view. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Right. And of course short term missions. <laughs> right right in the title there is the problem in mm-hmm. some ways. That it's short term. Mm-hmm. Uh and so it's it's not easy to have any kind of vision when you're talking about two weeks right? Yeah, in right. a summer.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: but you can be part of a larger picture. Right, right. Well, I want to come back to a word that you used. There's, that is the, theology, or there's mm. a theological issue. What do you think theologically is going on? And perhaps what theological alternative do we need to consider as we think about maybe a reimagined short-term missions?
0: Hmm. Well, I think, I think uh, our model is always Jesus, hmm. who uh, was willing to come and live among us. Uh, you think about Jesus, and, you know, he had all power at his disposal, but he never spoke English, he never spoke French, He limited himself to a few of the Middle Eastern languages. He never ate pizza. (laughs) He ate fish and hummus. Um, He limited himself, uh, and he took time. He took 33 years in one place, and for 30 of those years, he wasn't active in ministry. Um, He immersed himself in a place in order to be a blessing to those people and ultimately to all of us. Uh, and so I think probably to, to think about Jesus as our model uh, may be a, a, a theological uh, journey that we can follow. You've been listening to the Reimagining Short-Term Missions podcast. If you want to explore more diverse and challenging perspectives like this, check out a new book called reimagining short-term missions which includes chapters written by our podcast guests and from many more stm innovators from around the world your podcast host is forrest insley co-editor of that book and a professor of global studies at northwest university in seattle angel burns is the book's co-editor and our podcast producer is heath hollinsby Friends, what we need now is nothing short of a revolution in short-term missions, so please help us spread the word by sharing this podcast with others of like heart and mind. This is the time for reimagining short-term missions.